Today on Robro Sports Facts, special guest Ben Curtis, one of the future broadcasters of America and student at University of Maryland. Welcome to Robro Sports Facts. Every episode is packed with information put together by one of our newest podcasters on the scene, Rowan, a.k.a. Robro. Tune in weekly for a special guest where Robro asks specific questions about their career in addition to opinions of great sports events. Also, look out for the Player of the Week that comes from the LJ8 Sports YouTube channel for card pack openings. Thank you for tuning in. Why did you choose to go to Maryland, Ben? Oh, yeah, I chose to go to Maryland for a number of reasons. Um, I knew I wanted to be close to a city. Uh, Washington, D.C. is right on the metro from Maryland, so it was a great opportunity to be real close to uh, one of the largest cities, one of the best cities in the country. Obviously, it has a great journalism program as well. I'm a journalism major there. Right now, it had big-time athletics, which I knew I wanted as well, to have the opportunity to cover big-time athletics. I just toured campus and really fell in love with it. Okay, next what job do you want to do when you get older? <laughs> well, uh, still a lot of options on the table right now. Um, just turned 20, so, so still a long way to go. Uh, I've kind of done a deep dive into play-by-play. That's where really where I focus uh, through my college experience. So hopefully something involving play-by-play. Baseball's really been my primary sport over the past couple of years. So hopefully something involving baseball, but know that I'll have to do a lot of things along the way. Yeah. Yeah, what 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 sports have you seen live live at Maryland? Oh man, I've gotten the chance to see uh, and, and work a lot of different sports. So I've worked eleven different sports uh, across three different organizations at Maryland. So everything from football, field hockey, uh, which is a, a phenomenal sport at Maryland. Missing the heart always gets her team into the national conversation. Uh, volleyball, men's soccer, which won the national championship my freshman year. Women's soccer men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, softball, men's lacrosse, women's lacrosse. Of course, lacrosse is a big deal at Maryland. So gotten the chance to cover a lot of different sports on campus, 11 different ones over the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, those are all big ones. I mean, in like, I mean, in like, like not all the sports are big, are big in like, and like, as we know, football won't be playing, won't, won't be playing this year, which, which is, which is not fun. But when, when, when you have a younger brother, of, of it went when we have two of younger brothers and brother over there on uh, on the team 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 because like if Tua can be good good he he, he will get to play and, and but his brother won't get to play so 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 that means that he will be bad so so that means that he's the only brother so that means that his brother won't be able to play and, yeah but then there's other stuff where like where, and then like like basketball like basketball like Maryland would have been Maryland won but do do you do you think it Maryland would have made it far last year if in in, in the back in in to like the Sweet Sixteen or something if 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 the coronavirus didn't make make the make the season end? Yeah, I think it's a uh, obviously fun to talk about what ifs. It's disappointing that we didn't get to to decide for ourselves um, because of the because of the coronavirus situation and the fact that March Madness was canceled. 
I think it's tough to say because what really would have mattered was how Maryland performed to the Big Ten tournament because they were kind of struggling towards the end. They stumbled to the finish line. They had a two-game lead over the rest of the Big Ten with only a couple of games to go. They lost at home to Michigan State. They lost on the road to Rutgers, although a lot of really good teams lost on the road to Rutgers this year. They were excellent at home at the rack. So I think Sweet 16 is a is a reasonable assumption for how far they would have gone. It would have mattered a lot had they been able to play a Big Ten tournament and maybe get their momentum back before heading to the NCAA tournament and then seeing would have been what it would have been. But they had all the pieces that you need to really have success in the NCAA tournament. They had the veteran leadership with Anthony Cowan Jr. They had an excellent rebounder in Jalen Smith and they had deep guard play. They had three uh, guards who played starter minutes, essentially. Of course, only two were actually starters, but Cowan, Ayala and Wiggins all were playing starter minutes in that rotation. So they had all the pieces together to make a deep run to the NCAA tournament and perhaps into the Elite Eight or maybe even a, a run to the Final Four. Obviously disappointing that we didn't get to decide, but hopefully we'll be able to play some basketball this year. Yeah, now, now over, now next, who do you think we'll win the World Series? That's a tough one. This uh, baseball season's obviously unlike any other. Uh, I gotta say, the Minnesota Twins are playing some really good baseball right now. They have an excellent, excellent club up there. I think it's the best that they've had in a long time. Yesterday, we saw Kent Maeda take a no-no into the ninth inning. Bullpen ended up blowing it. They needed to win in extra innings. But I think what's really been missing over the past couple of years in Minnesota has been the starting pitching and the starting pitching depth, especially. And I think with the addition of Maeda, they're, they're going to be able. Uh, to kind of get over that hump and with a 60-game schedule and the way that the postseason is going to look differently. I think depth is going to be a lot less important than uh, top-of-the-line rotation strength, and I think that's what Minnesota now has. And I don't know, it, it'll be interesting to see because it, we're in kind of this weird situation where guys are still kind of getting their feet. Starters have maybe only had four or five stars. Play, uh, teams have, have only played 25 games, but we're already in mid to late August and we're, and we're coming down the home stretch of a of a pennant run. So obviously with this season different than any other, only a 60 game schedule. Hard to say still uh, still with a couple of, of weeks left in August before we before we really get down to the, the postseason deciding games in September. But Minnesota's looking awfully good right now in a not that tough division, uh, but having to play in the NL Central too, which is a very deep division. Uh, having to play against the NL Central, should I say, with the AL and the NL Central uh, going at it with 20 games each. I really like Minnesota this year. Yeah, I mean, like, there have been teams that have been looked like they're bad. I mean, like, it's like the Orioles, like, they are doing good. I mean, like, the worst start, it was John Means, but he couldn't help it. And he had to bury his father, and, and he had to be out, outside of the team and for family reasons, so, so it wasn't, like, his fault that they had in Lopez and, like, the Orioles, like, yeah, that was a bad start, but it wasn't his just luck that his father died and he had to leave for a while and he didn't and he didn't get anybody to practice with outside of the organization or anything and like the orders are doing good. Any team can win, any team can lose. Sorry to cut you off, Roman. We're seeing a lot of teams that um, a lot of the pundits wrote off before the season start have really solid starts to the year. You mentioned the Orioles, they're over 500. The Miami Marlins are over 500. Uh, they've lost seven of their past nine. They're, they're kind of struggling a little bit right now, waiting for some of their guys to get healthy after they had to go on the IL for coronavirus-related issues. Uh, the Colorado Rockies started off incredibly hot. They've cooled off a little bit lately as well. They're three and seven in their past ten games, and the Dodgers have just kind of sprinted past them towards the top of the NL West. We're seeing a lot of teams that some people thought would only get 15 to 20, 25 wins this season. Uh, in a 60-game schedule, really start to put themselves into the national conversation a little bit more, and the future might be now for a couple of these teams. 
the best matchup. I think that it's like a good pitching matchup for the young ones. There is the White Sox are bringing up a rookie, and then Casey Mize gets the start today for Detroit against them. So like this dude doing call ups like they normally do. Yeah, I'm super excited to see Casey Mize uh, pitch for the Tigers tonight. He's going up against Dane Dunning, who is a first-round pick himself by the Washington Nationals, I believe, and then ended up in the White Sox organization. The White Sox are going to be good for a very, very long time. They've got a lot of pitching depth, and if Dunning is going to be able to contribute to that as well, then that's only going to get deeper and deeper. But I am very excited to see Casey Mize uh, begin to start his MLB career. I worked in Michigan last summer uh, out in Western Michigan for a summer league baseball league team up there. Obviously, a lot of Tigers fans up in Michigan, and I just heard over and over how excited they were to get Casey Mize into a Detroit Tigers uniform to play Major League Baseball for real. And this season's the perfect time. Look, the Tigers are 9-12. and They've played decent baseball. Probably no postseason baseball in 2020 uh, in their immediate future. So, hey, get those guys in. Get them some reps. See what they look like in a Major League uniform against tough, tough competition because the White Sox are a real good ball club. Really excited to see Casey Mize tonight. Yeah, and now let's move on to who do you think will win the Super Bowl? Ah, it's a tough one. Um, uh, Hopefully we'll be able to play an NFL season like normal. Uh, I'll go ahead and answer your question assuming that we will. Basically an innocent until proven guilty type thing. I got to go with the Kansas City Chiefs to repeat. I don't see any reason why they're going to take a step back from a year ago. I think they're actually going to improve with Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, coming into the running back situation. I thought that was an excellent pick to get them at number 32. That was one spot that wasn't necessarily weak at all in their offense, but if it was one spot in their offense that could be improved, it was that running back position. I think uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire really fits that system really well that Andy Reid has going with Patrick Mahomes. I think Mahomes is going to start maybe even take it up another notch. He's got the giant contract. He's got Lamar Jackson pretty much right on his tail in terms of who is this best new young quarterback in the NFL. Deshaun Watson's going to be right there. I think Tyler Murray's going to take a huge step up. I'll give the Chiefs beating. I'll give it to the New Orleans Saints coming out of the NFC. I think it's finally going to be the year they, they get over the hump. They really should have gotten to the Super Bowl in the past couple of years. I think this year they finally will. So I'll give it the Chiefs over the Saints in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm looking right now at their, like, running backs. I'm like, Clyde's, and, like, they don't even have, like, a top-tier running back, really, because they don't even have McCoy anymore. Yeah, I, I so, think so, that... So they're down the running back, the only tight end is Kelsey, and then they only have Hardman and Hill. Those are the only big, the big receivers they have. Like, they only have, like, any good receivers. I mean, they've got, like, and they have, like, three good backup quarterbacks, back like they have like a rookie in Jordan Ta'amu and Matt Moss so they have two wrestling mediocre quarterbacks and then they just have a rookie who probably shouldn't have been picked by the teams I feel like another team could have used a rookie I mean the teams were just drafting whoever they could draft because it was just like like the Ravens I feel like they couldn't make it far like last year because they drafted a new running back that Bond came in to come in and try out for the Ravens like Teams are still getting guys to try out at this time of year, even though it isn't a real offseason. They have no preseason. Uh, I was just going to say that the Ravens are going to be one of the best teams in the AFC once again. I thought they drafted really well as well. J.K. Dobbins is a great pick out of Ohio State. The fact that they got him that late in the second round was, I think, a steal. And then uh, one of the big steals of the draft, I think, was getting Devin Duvernay. Uh, the wide receiver out of Texas late in the third round. I think he's got the real chance to be a real star in the league. You saying the same Bay of Hill doesn't play anyone in the off 
So like if there's one injury, he'll can step up and be like an emergency backup for any offensive position besides a line because he's like a Swiss Army knife and that could set the role for other quarterbacks that are playing alongside top quarterbacks like Jordan Love or somebody else like that that has been drafted or like somebody who is this older and shows promise. They should follow and take some little footsteps and play at different positions if like they're fast. Like they have good catch radius or something because they didn't just have like players play like their single position. They should do like a multi position kind of like they do with baseball, like they have a second third or something like that. Do you think NFL players play multi positions that on similar something teams should start doing more of like Patrick Ricard and Taysom Hill? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting kind of trend in the NFL to have these guys that can play just about anything. I don't think it's what you should build your team around. Um, obviously, Taysom Hill's not going to be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints as long as Drew Brees is there and as long as Drew Brees is healthy. Because Drew Brees is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, I do believe that Taysom Hill is a solid backup. I think it's good to have on your team. It's a nice weapon to be able to pull out in specialty situations, but I don't think it's uh, somebody that your team should be built around. Yes, it's nice to have. It's an addition. It's a luxury, but it's not a necessity, I don't think. Well, now we're going to move on to the player of choice. I picked Mike Flynn again. Because I pulled him out of a video that will be going up on my YouTube channel, LJ Sports. He's a pitcher. He's on December 16th, 1961, and he's 6 foot, 185 pounds. He played for the Orioles from 1975 to 86, and then he split time with the Blue Jays and Orioles in 1987 and 1988 to 90. This was then he came back and he played for the Orioles in 1991 to 92, which he, he got into the Hall of Fame in 2000, but only the Cape Cod Hall of Fame, and because he wasn't as good as most players. He still got into a minor league hall of fame. Do you think getting into a like smaller minor league hall of fame is something a player should be proud of? Oh, absolutely. The Cape Cod League is uh, one of the most prestigious, if not the most prestigious, summer collegiate baseball league uh, that there is. And getting into the hall of fame is a big deal. There are some really big name players that have over the years gotten into the Cape Cod Hall of Fame. Uh, guys like Frank Thomas, Ron Darling, Ben Sheets, if you remember from the early 2000s. Um, Craig Biggio, Jeff Bagwell, Carlton Fisk. There have been a lot, a lot of Cape Cod superstars that have gone on to not only play in the major leagues, but excel in the major leagues. And a couple of ended up being inducted into the National Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, the big one. So getting into the Cape Cod uh, League and in general to play in the Cape Cod League is a big deal during your college days. And then to be honored as part of the Cape Cod Baseball Hall of Fame, big, big deal. Certainly something to be proud of. I mean, in 87, that was his first year where he got into, got to be an All-Star in 87, and then he had six, he had a Cy, he was voted for Cy Young, and he had six MVP awards, and, and he was sixth in, in the MVP in 79, so a couple years after, he got into being a man, so he made World Series in, in 83, and, and he won on the bottom Orioles, Orioles, for the one series win over Philly. It was just like the big stats about him. Like, he had over 150 wins with 167 wins. 
uh, one of the 43 losses and, and he came out there and, and he helped them get a small number of saves with only four. He had 1,491 strikeouts exactly, a whip that is 1.334, a 3.90 ERA and a war of 25.5. Do you think a 3.90 ERA is a good ERA or do you, or do you think a lower ERA or do you think like a ERA in the twos, twos is, is considered the top ERA? Yeah, obviously, once you get under the 3.0 mark and when you're talking ERA, you're talking elite. But 3.90 is really solid, especially uh, the way that baseball's changed over the past couple of decades. Now guys are throwing less uh, in terms of innings and pitches, looking for that kind of five or six innings of dominance before moving on to the bullpen where everybody throws 102 miles an hour nowadays. That wasn't really the case in the 70s and 80s uh, when landing a pitch. So when you get a 3.90 ERA, but you couple that with the strikeouts per innings, not just the, the number of innings they had in total, this guy was a workhorse. And he, he, there was a reason that he became an all-star and he was a Cy Young and eventually got into the MVP conversation as well in the late 70s with the Orioles, which was a great Orioles team. Uh, I think the way that baseball has changed when you look at it in that frame of mind, absolutely 3.90 ERA, that's going to get your team in a lot of positions to win a lot of games. What do you consider a good war? In 25.5, a good, a good war, do you think war doesn't matter that much? Uh, I'm a big war guy. I think war is definitely helpful. Uh, in measure, I think it's more helpful in measuring position players because it kind of factors in a little bit of everything, all five of those tools all together. Uh, over the course of a long career, though, 25.5, super solid. Uh, last year, just for kind of a frame of reference, uh, the leader was Cody Bellinger. I believe his war was exactly nine. So over the course of a long career, um, you do want that to be a little bit higher in the 40 to 50 range. But I think that war really matters a lot more for position players than pitchers. Uh, so you can kind of look at that 25.5 with a bit of a grain of salt. He died in 2011. So it's like he's a player that Orioles should remember as a big name pitcher. They didn't do super good, but did good enough one way or another because he probably really didn't do the best in the majors, but the Cape Cod is good making it up to the majors even if they're on the best and having a rest and having a small margin of wins for losses because having more wins than losses than having for them not being about different because do you think having uh, over a hundred wins and over a hundred losses and them being relatively the same a good look for them to be winning and losing about the same amount of games uh, I think that, uh, to be quite frank, that wins for a pitcher uh, is one of the most ridiculous stats that there is, wins and losses. You look at a guy like Jacob deGrom last year, just kind of put this into context. He was absolutely dominant. Cy Young, all-star, phenomenal. He went 10-9 and 9 in 2018, 11-8 and 8 in 2019, because he didn't get much run support. In 2018, he had a 1.70 ERA and went 10-9. and 9. And that, That's not at all reflective of the kind of season that he had as record. So I think that wins and losses for a pitcher is a bit too reflective of the team that you're playing on, especially in the American League uh, with that with no designated hitter. Now there's no designated hitter anywhere, but I think it's not at all reflective of uh, the way that you, that you pitch. It's a lot more reflective of the kind of run support that you got. It's interesting to look at, but when you're evaluating a player overall, uh, I think that you got to stay away from wins and losses. That's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like, when you, like, look at wins and losses, like, it's just like, here you go, this dude has won 
this many mean games is just like Rising One. This many games, the team could have just been lucky and playing with a horrible team and like one or something. And like, say the great team and then just have bad luck. A player just goes out there because like they're told to go out there. And the only reason they had a chance to win is because they were called out there to play that night. It's like another picture. If, if they were out there, they would have won it. Let's move on to the final part of the podcast today. I'd like to give a birthday shout out to to Kristen Perry, and and I'd like to and I'd like to to commemorate Ty Cobb getting being the fourth to get three thousand hits in the year of nineteen twenty one. Thanks for being on my podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Good time. Yeah, talk to you later. Bye. Robro Sports Facts would like to thank those who helped create the podcast and those that help put it on every week. Thank you to editor Sherry, sound engineer John, executive producer Hannah. This week, baseball references for Mike Flanagan provided by BaseballReferences.com and CapeCodBaseball.org.